Okay. Well. You can turn to Revelation. And we've been going through following some of the Brian Simmons interpretation and understanding and insights on Revelation, the book of Revelation. And we've been lately we're in we're going to be in chapter 7 probably starting in verse 9. Last week we spoke about the 144,000 and it's all wrapped up in the seven sealed scroll being unraveled and these revelations coming forth into our world into us because we are the seven sealed scroll that he paid a great price for. And as we've been going through we see this the stages of John, these different revelations of Jesus with his church and Jesus uh, enthroned in power and then Jesus taking a hold of the scroll that he paid the great price for and releasing these revelations and releasing these understandings and understanding it, interpreting it through a picture parable model that he's trying to show us spiritual realities through pictures that, and stories that we understand, that we can grasp. Um, it is the language of Jesus, which is parables and pictures. And last week, we talked about the 144,000. That it wasn't actually a head perfect, oh yeah, there's going to be 144,000. It wasn't a literal head count, but it was Christ multiplied in his people. Is 12 times 12 is the apostolic number of Jesus times a thousand, which in the Hebrew mindset was a limitless amount of number. It was basically as high as you could go. So times a thousand. So Jesus multiplied in his people in the, with the mind of Christ. And the, these people that were sealed with the seal of God. And Jesus tells these four angels holding back four winds, don't let these four winds blow until we have sealed the 144,000. So what he's saying is, for my plan and my purposes, for what I have destined for the world and the universe, is that my people need to get the revelation of who I am and who I am in them and through them. And we saw that as you go through, it's a, it numbers 12,000 out of each tribe. And we talked about what each of those names has a meaning. You have uh, Judah and Reuben and Gad and Asher and all those many different things. That each one is a revelation that we get of Jesus in the process that he has us on. Of how we behold him as the king uh, in the Lion of Judah, and how we come with hearing ears. And then we, at the end, found Joseph, which was means he will add another. And then Benjamin, the very last revelation, is the son of his right hand. Saying that G, uh, Joseph was a wonderful representation in the Old Testament of Jesus. And it means he's going to add another, that he is the firstborn of many. And Benjamin is the son of God's right hand, is that the one he is adding another of is us, which is the children of God, that we would be the right-hand company of God. And so 
you can go, I have that up on the podcast, you can go listen to that. But, and we, we made it through all of that. And what we see from that is, is that God is telling these angels, you wait for a period of time because my people need to get the revelation of who I am. God has you on a 12-step program. <laughs> because he wants you to get the mind of Christ and you are sealed on your forehead, which is a symbol of your mind, your thoughts, and your will, of it. You sealed you with the mind of Christ, and then he can release the winds of judgment that are not terror on the earth, but actually bring life and restoration. And we are the ones that bring forth that life and restoration when we get the mind of Christ, and we can rule and reign with him. You cannot rule in the kingdom of God when you have the mindset of man. Right? We cannot be a heavenly body or a heavenly church and act and live in a Babylonian mindset. It actually talks about that in Revelation, of the, the Babylonian thing. And it's that whole mindset and living of the world. And that's what he's saying. Is I need to get that out of you and this in you. You, may, you don't want the mark of the beast, which is maybe not a microchip or a tattoo, but in reality it is the mark of sinful man and the way of the world and that you are marked and that means you're owned but when you are sealed with the seal of God it is not a seal of just just owning it is but it is also a seal of authority a mark is what you put on a slave hey I own them but a seal is a thing that you send with a letter or you send with a person that they have my seal and my authority and so he wants to seal you with the mind of Christ so that you can bring forth the kingdom. And that is really important for us that we recognize, first thing, is that God is waiting for us to get the revelation of him in us and through us before he can complete the plan and purposes for this world and universe. Think about it. He's not saying, oh man, you know, the, world, the world's going to get really bad and the Antichrist is going to come and all this stuff and then I'll come and I'll rescue you guys because you just, you just can't take care of yourself, you know. But in reality, he's saying, no, when you get the mind of Christ and you can rule and reign the way I've meant you to, that is when I go, yes, finally, that's a bride that I can marry and I can wrap this whole thing up. So... The contingent plan of the universe is partially on us getting the revelation of him in us. That's what revelation is all about. Jesus is at the center of it all. Jesus is at the center of every book in the Bible. He's at the center of revelation because this is the revelation of Jesus. This is the unveiling of Jesus. And so when you get him unveiled, you get unveiled with him because you are in him. And you are one with God as Jesus is one with God. And so, that should be pretty amazing to you. That should be pretty amazing of, huh, we could sit back in our Christian lazy chairs, lazy boys, kick up our feet, and wait for the world to go to pot, and then Jesus will come take care of it. That's the way most people, they read Revelation, well, it's just going to get really bad, and then Jesus comes back. Woo, we win, right? And that's what they say. But when you read this and he's saying, no, it's until these people get sealed with who I am that I can bring forth my plan on the earth. 
And so kicking up your feet in the lazy boy ain't going to work. It's actually getting up and getting the revelation of Jesus in you and through you for this world is what Jesus says, all right, let's wrap it up. They're ready. That's, that's pretty exciting. And that's what we talked about last week. So now this week, we have John. He's seeing these groups of people. And it's kind of interesting. He gets the seals are being broken and the four horsemen come out. And then he gets the seals of those before the altar. And then he, then he sees the 144,000. And wow, that's... And then he, and again, another revelation comes in. And he sees a new group of people. And this group is a vast multitude robed in white, praising God before the throne. And so what I want to do is I'm just going to read from verse 9, probably all the way to the end. Just let's get it all in big one slew here, and then we'll go back over it. So chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, right in front of me, I saw a vast multitude of people. An enormous multitude, so huge that no one could count, made up of victorious ones from every nation, tribe, people group, and language. They were all in glistening white robes, standing before the throne and before the Lamb with palm branches in their hands, and they shouted out with passionate voice, Salvation belongs to our God, seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing in a circle around the throne with the elders and the four living creatures. And they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power, might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these in glistening white robes, and where have they come from? I answered, My Lord, you must know. Then he said to me, they are the ones who have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb and have emerged from the midst of great pressure and ordeal. For this reason they, have, they are before the throne of God, ministering to him as priests day and night. Within his cloud-filled sanctuary and the enthroned, within his cloud-filled sanctuary, and the enthroned one spreads over them his tabernacle shelter. Their souls will be completely satisfied, and neither the sun nor any scorching heat will affect them. For the Lamb at the center of the throne continuously shepherds them unto life, guiding them to the everlasting fountains of water of life. And God will wipe from their eyes every last tear. So here we are. We've seen the 144,000, and then we turn and we see these vast multitude. And before I really get into going over each verse, I want to throw something out there at you. I don't really have an opinion on this because I don't really know what to think. But when Brian Simmons goes through and he's translated the Bible and he's gone through Revelation, he made this statement, and I'll tell it to you and you can do with whatever you want. But he says, when he looks through the Bible... And through Revelation at these groups, like the 144,000 and then the vast multitude, he says, I see, a, the, I see a difference between the church and the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. 
he says there seems to be a difference between the actual church and the body and the entirety of that and then there also seems to be a difference between the actual bride of Christ like there may be slightly separate groups still obviously all still in the kingdom but there's actually a difference he sees now I don't have an opinion on that because I don't really know I've never heard that before <laughs> I've in my mind it's always been the same to me it's always been the kingdom the body of Christ the church the bride all the same thing to me but he goes kind of seems like they're actually different like there is the bride of Christ is those that have become that equally yoked uh people for him and then there is just the overall body of Christ in general I don't really know but I wanted to tell you that and you can think about that put that back somewhere whatever so we see here John sees this vast multitude of people it's the word is basically an innumerable amount right there's all sorts it's it it could be 10,000 times 10,000 or thousands times that you know it's basically the number and the understanding is that it could it's innumerable right and there are all these people and they're worshiping God before the throne and it says he sees an enormous multitude so huge that no one could count made up of victorious ones from every nation tribe people group and language and again I want to pause there just for a second and say in God's plan and his purpose for this world and for the universe is he wants every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language to know the gospel. That is his plan and his purpose. Right? So, essentially, until... Every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language has heard, we're not done here. Right? That's his plan and his purpose. When he died on the cross and he paid that ultimate price, he did not pay for a few. He paid for a multitude. He paid for every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every tongue. That's what he wants. And so... Again, not the Antichrist, not things getting terribly bad. Things are terribly bad already, have been before. <laughs> and they're going to be. That's, that is the terrible fact of a fallen world. But what is contingent on Jesus is that everyone hears the gospel. Everyone it gets to come to him. And so again... You could, again, I'm, I like this. I like, you, you'll realize I like this. But again, we could sit back in our Christian lazy boys. <laughs> and we could wait for it all to get terrible. And by golly, it'll get terrible because we're sitting back doing nothing. Shocker, we will fulfill our own prophecies. Things are going to get terrible and they're going to get bad and it's going to get horrible, so I'm just going to sit back and hide in my Christian cave. And guess what? When a Christian does that, things get terrible, things get bad, and things fall apart. So we can constantly fulfill our own prophecies until somebody says, or we could go to every nation. We could go to every people group. We could go to every tongue. Right? So again... If you want to see Jesus 
come back, in whatever term that you're saying that in, if you want to see Jesus come back, we might have to get out there and start telling people the gospel. <laughs> I'm just saying. I know this sounds really basic. And I know this is like, oh, you have, obviously, Anthony. But we need to hear this. Because what if, think about it, let's play this out. If we actually go, you know what? I want Jesus to come back for a bride. I want Jesus to come. I want Jesus to fulfill his plan for this world. I want to be part of that. And I want to be fulfilling that goal. So I'm going to go to the jungle where nobody has heard the gospel. Or I'm going to go to this other city. Or I'm going to go across the street. Or I'm going to do these other things. Because... You, in that little action of saying, I'm going to go, is essentially saying, come Jesus. So you can go with the motivation of, I'm going to go bring the gospel to the world of wherever that is. Because I want to see Jesus come back. You can do that. Because that's, that that's what that is showing, is that his goal is a great multitude of people from everywhere. And until, until we get that, I think Jesus doesn't know the time or the hour because he doesn't know when we're going to get it. <laughs> he says, I gave them free choice. That means they can think for themselves and they can fulfill their own false prophecies that things are going to get bad. But they can also get it. And they can also bring forth the bride. So, because the whole idea that, if you think about it, let's sit back, wait for things to get bad, all these things will get fulfilled, we do nothing, and Jesus comes back. There's no motivation to really get out there and do anything. There's really no motivation to be the unveiling of Christ to the world. That sounds very Calvinistic to me. Calvinistic thinking goes, well, you know, you're predestined, you know, yes, you accept it, blah, 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 whatever, however they want to make it work, but, you know, you don't really have a choice, that's just what happens, yes, sovereignty of God, all that stuff. That sounds like we're taking that same theology and adding it to our eschatology. Our, uh, it's our same thoughts on who God is, and we're going to apply it to the end of time. That we really don't have a choice, it's just going to happen. But when we actually read the Bible and he goes, well, you had a choice when you fell and you also have a choice to rise up. That means we have a very integral role of Jesus coming back. Because we unveil him. Right? So, here they are. They're in glistening white robes standing before the throne and before the Lamb with palm branches in their hands. You may know this already, but the palm branches is a symbol of victory. They, they waved palm branches when Jesus came into Jerusalem because they were saying, we want this guy to be king because he's bringing victory and freedom to us. And they thought in the context of he was going to rule like David did, but instead he brought the kingdom of God. And so... This same thing is repeated of now they're standing before the throne with their palm branches. But this context is different. 
this context, it says they're victorious ones, clothed in white, waving their palm branches, saying they lived their victorious life, they got the power of Jesus in their life, and now they stand before his throne and they get to thank him for it. Right? It's kind of like we talked about earlier. They get crowns. You'll get the crown of life. And it's so funny. We take Jesus paid it all for us, and it's him in us. And when you live in the victory of him living through you, he gives you a crown for it. Like, it's Jesus in you, but he's still going to give you the crown. It's a pretty good deal. (laughs) And so now you have those that have lived in their victory. And we see this all throughout the Bible and especially in Revelation, how being an overcomer and being a victor is so important to Jesus. All the way through when he's sending letters to the churches and all the way in every context. He's going, if you'll overcome, you get this. And, if, and, you'll, be in a, and you'll get a crown for this. And you'll be uh, uh, victorious in this. And when you live strong in this. Like, Jesus did not just pay to get you saved. He, get, he paid to get you victorious and free and alive. And so, and it is his joy to see what he paid for come to pass. It is his joy to go, man, I paid to set them free from bondage so they could live in victory. And when I see them living in victory, I reward them for it. Because he loves it. And so this is, again, that victory mindset of, yes, you need to live in victory. You were created to not be bound to anything, to restricted to anything. You don't have to just settle that is, and and, and they're, they're standing there victorious before him. That is awesome. So, if there's any idea of who God is or who we are in him that is not with the idea of victory and with overcoming, then it's probably a lie. So, we go through... And they, they're singing salvation belongs to our God. And then the angels and the, the kings and, and the elders and the, everyone falls before God. And they're worshiping him with wisdom and thanksgiving and glory and honor and power and might. And then this, this elder asks John, he says, hey, who are these guys in white? And John's like, dude, you live here like you should probably know. <laughs> you know? I'm sure you've talked to him when you had some downtime. That's, I'm just, that's kind of a joke. But anyways. And he says, these are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And this is what's kind of interesting. Think about this. I could go either way with this. These people, it says they washed their robes and made them white. And like this is, their, this is a priestly robe. Because it says that they're ministering as priests before the throne. And, and we would understand that these robes were priestly robes that you would minister in the temple. So these priestly robes, they already had them and they were somehow dirtied. Generally, you would say, okay, yeah, you know, sin, it, it, it you know, 
soiled our clothes and, and we are dirty and then Jesus makes us clean before him. That's a good interpretation. And it, that may be the, the one that we should take. I don't know. But what if, what if it's possibly saying that these are not people, this is not talking about salvation, but this is actually talking about those that we're in the church and we're the body of Christ and we've been given these robes, but the ways of the world, the mindsets of the Babylonian world and the churchianity and these ways that have influenced us in the body of Christ, we actually break free from those and wash ourselves clean of the mindset and the activities of the world in the body of Christ and we become a heavenly people. I can't, I can't prove that in either way. I don't really know. It's just kind of another, like, what if, you know? This is not nothing to split hairs on, but what if it's actually the, that we, the people that are serving before God have freed themselves from the way of the world? Because the problem is when you take a heavenly people as we are supposed to be to this world, but we run and we act and we do everything just like the world, like the Babylonian mindset and our priorities are the same, then that we're in conflict, right? So if you're trying to live as a Christ-bought heavenly people, but you are acting as Babylonian citizens, you're mixing the two. And that has to be cleansed and you have to become a people 100% for him. Or it's just talking about that we're saved and cleansed. It very well may be that too, but it could be the other thing. So this, he says, they've made them white. The lamb has emerged from, made them white in the blood of the lamb and have emerged from great pressure and ordeal. Now, your translation or other translations may see, say, the great tribulation or have come through tribulation or other words like that, okay? And this is what's interesting. Let's talk about that for a second. They have come through, this one says great pressure and ordeal. Yours might say they have come through the great tribulation or tribulation. In Revelation, tribulation is only spoken of two times. Okay? Only two times is revelation actually, uh, is tribulation spoken of. And both times, both times it is spoken to the context of believers. Not the world. Now before you go, oh my gosh, we're going to go through the tribulation? No. Just, let's, let's not freak out and go in that direction because we're not even talking about that, right? What I'm saying is in both Situations, it's speaking about believers going through tribulation. But what does the word tribulation actually mean? The English word tribulation is derived from the Latin word tribulum. Tribulum is a hollowed out rock where they would take wheat and break off the hulls. That's called a tribulum. You took the wheat in there and you'd break off the hulls off of the wheat and then you would get the wheat that you could turn into flour. 
That's what our English word for tribulation comes from, tribulum. The Greek word for tribulation is pressure. So think about this. We've watched <laughs> lots of movies, read lots of books, and heard a lot of fear-mongering preachers in our day, I'm sure, that have painted great pictures of, oh, we're gonna go, oh there's going to be the great tribulation, and people aren't even going to want to be alive because they can't even die, and it's going to be terrible, right? And this is the tribulation. And you better believe in the rapture or you're going through tribulation, right? So that's generally the understanding of tribulation. And, and we've had lots of movies and books that created really cool, terrible pictures of what tribulation is, right? And we, might, and we have translated that to, oh, yeah, that's what tribulation is. But what this word is saying, it's tribulum. And that means you've got to break off the hulls of the wheat that's inside you. That there is wheat inside you, but you've got this crusty outside that needs to be broken off so that that can come forth. So that you can be made into the bread of life. Right? You gotta break that off. You gotta go through tribulum. Or if you just want to take the Greek word, which is great pressure, is that to come into the kingdom, we have to go through great pressure. We have to be squeezed. All of that needs to be squeezed out of you that is not of Christ, and you need to be formed into the image of Jesus. You see, um, in Acts 14.22, you know what Acts 14.22 says? That we come into the kingdom through tribulation. So Acts 14 is saying, hey, through tribulation, you come into the kingdom. And in uh, the Passion Translation, it's, it, it words it really interestingly. Let's just turn there. Whoa. Let's turn there. Acts 14, 22. I may have to read it a few times, so if you're getting there, that's okay. But Acts, it says... This is in the Passion Translation. At each place they went, they strengthened the lives of the believers and encouraged them deeper in their faith. And they taught them, it is necessary for us to enter into the realm of God's kingdom because that's the only way we will endure our trials and tribulation, our persecutions. Now, other translations will say, um, Blah, 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 blah. I guess the, through great tribulation, we enter into God's kingdom realm. So if you're reading in a different translation, it's probably going to say, through great tribulation, we enter into God's kingdom realm. Either one entails the context of a present kingdom, not a kingdom to come. Right? It says, through tribulation, you go through to get into the kingdom. And in the other one, it says, the safest place to be is in the kingdom so that you can go through your ordeals, so that you can go through this tribulation. Either one is saying, we're not talking about a kingdom, we're not talking about an imaginary millennium, we're not talking about all these things, we're talking about the kingdom of God right now. Is that you have to be broken off of that shell, you have to go through the pressure, and 
be cleansed and purified and made into the image of Christ, and you come into the kingdom. Everyone, so let's, here's the statement. Everyone has to go through tribulation to enter the kingdom. Now, what I'm not saying is, oh, yeah, everyone's going to be persecuted and everyone's going to be martyred and killed for the gospel. Well, obviously not, because, I mean, it, happens, it has and does and is, but not to everyone. But everyone spiritually has to go through tribulation to enter into the kingdom. You have to be broken off of that shell and pressed in to the image of Christ. You have to go through this. You have to come to the end of yourself and to Jesus. Just like Jacob, how Jacob wrestled with the angel in the night. And that angel and him wrestled and they wrestled. And then he popped his hip out and he said, what is your name? And he said, I'm Jacob, which means heel grabber. But he had lied to his dad and said, oh, I'm Esau. Give me the birthright. But this guy who's wrestling with him said, you need to come to the end of yourself. You need to realize who you really are. And he goes, I'm heel grabber. And he goes, perfect. Now that you've seen who you are, I'm going to turn you into a prince. I'm going to call you Israel. So we have to come through the same thing that we wrestle with. And we come through the tribulation and we come to the end of ourselves and we go, yeah, that's who I am. And Jesus says, all right, now I'll take you and I'll make you my princes. And so in Revelation, it's saying all of these people in this context is not saying all of these people went through this terrible time. But all of these people had to go through tribulation to come into the kingdom. And now that they came through the tribulation and they purified their robes, they stand and live in victory, and now they worship before the throne. I hope that makes sense. That, and so, take that as you will, but that is why you will see both times tribulation mentioned to of believers because we have to go through this and and men have taken oh man they read this and then they read the next thing about fire and and locusts as big as volkswagen beetles flying everywhere and they go yep that's going to be the tribulation i heard tribulation two times and i'm going to create a whole theology about it and I'm, and I'm going to take all these weird pictures and images that really don't make sense and don't work on a timeline but i'm going to make it work Right? Now, I'm not saying that we don't go through tribulation. Jesus promised us that we would go through trials, that we would be persecuted, and that we would be hated. That, then that's come true, hasn't it, all through history, and it still happens today. So, that is part of living in this world. So then, then let, let me just kind of sum this up. He gives this picture, an image of those that worship before him come underneath the tabernacle covering of, the, of Jesus, which is basically uh, speaking of the, uh, when they would have weddings in the Jewish culture, they would build a covering and it would be like, it would be the marriage covering. Where I can't think of the right word right now. It'll come to me later, I'm sure. Kind of, it's his, yeah, it's whatever that word is. But, 
but essentially that he is covering them with his presence and he is dwelling with them and there is even a context of that marriage ceremony like thing that he covers them with his tabernacle covering and he'll wipe away every last tear right that that will live with him in complete union in that love relationship and and that ends chapter 7 and it ends that last seal and the seven seals broken after that and so we get these pictures and these images now I have a little bit of time. <laughs> I want to I I want to make sure that we've gotten that but I do kind of want to change our focus just for a second. Is that we've seen the great multitude of people and that is this essentially is some people have said which I think is stupid but some people have said, "Oh, well, John got distracted in chapter 7 for a little bit and kind of rambled on about things. And then he has to come back in chapter 8 and finish how the seventh seal happens. Well, I think that's just ridiculous. Um, God doesn't make mistakes like that. I don't think it's like that. It it actually is showing that this seven-sealed scroll, which is you, when you get in the hands of Jesus, he starts to break free and release revelations into your life of who he is. And then he go, and John continues on and gives us the picture of this is the goal. This is the end result of him breaking this free. He has gotten a hold of you and he's breaking this. And it's partially a picture of you and partially a picture of his total plan for the body of Christ. And he is saying he wants to bring all this to completion. He wants to bring those who are sealed, the 144,000. He wants to bring them all, all the multitude. And he wants to live with them and dwell with them forever and wipe away every tear and he sums it all up he goes man that's the total goal of all of this it's not just for fun it's not just whatever the goal of him is to bring forth this end result let me show you what that looks like and that's what john paints here and that's what the images and the pictures that he's got but then in chapter eight the lamb breaks open the seventh seal the last seal and it says that heaven fell silent for half an hour. Now, I think we maybe know that there's not actually time in heaven, right? But it says that heaven fell silent for half an hour. So what that shows us is that it is breaking forth a revelation that affects our world because we're in time and we're in this and so heaven fell short for a half an hour is saying this last revelation the first seal do you remember the first seal breaks loose and it's thunders and it's voices and it's the 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 breaking forth of god into this world and then the last one brings silence and summing up and peace the last one wraps it all up the last one, it falls silent for a half hour or a period of time. That it's, it's dealing with our world and with us, that it affects us because it is speaking of time. And what's interesting is we've had these seals be broken off. And then the seventh seal 
releases seven trumpets. And I could read through right now, but I'm, I'm actually going to hold off just for a while. But think about this. This is, what I, this is what I want to try to get at tonight for this last part. Is that I've, I've walked you through these six seals release six different things. But then the seventh seal actually releases seven trumpets. And six trumpets go off. And then the seventh trumpet releases seven bowls. Right? So the seventh one actually always releases the next thing. And the problem is this. Western people don't get this very well. If we're going to look at it in this picture. Western people have read Revelation, and we're, we're one, two, three, A, B, C, give it to me, straight on a linear platform, right? We're, we're very into time. You know, in America, we're like, okay, you, know, you need to be here at, you know, 635, and so we have to be there at 635. But if you go to anywhere else in the world, they don't care near as much about time. We Western people really care about time. But if you go into the jungles or if you go to, you know, Brazil, if you go to, there's just so many places, they don't care. No, nah, we'll show up, you know. They're not so, they don't care about time so much. And you get to hear all these funny stories of people going to Brazil and they're like, oh, the meeting's at six. And they all, they show up at six and people show up three hours later because they're like, yeah, here, we're here. Nobody shows up on time, right? I know because you've been to Brazil. Yeah, they, they don't care. They don't. Time is not that important to them like that. They don't follow it. So Western people, we think everything on a, okay, you know, a timeline. Bam, 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 ticking down, right? Straight, we need one, two, three, all this stuff. But you know, the Hebrew mindset is not on a straight timeline. A lot of times it's circular, Because in Psalms, it says that he, you know, it's the verse where he leads me on paths of righteousness. A better translation of that is he leads me on circular paths of righteousness. Because what he's saying is that he's a shepherd and shepherds, when they would go up a mountain, wouldn't push the sheep straight up the mountain because it'd be too hard and they'd kill them or they'd just give up. But they would slowly walk their sheep in a circle around the mountain and they would gain a little bit of elevation each time. And they would work up it. And Jesus is our shepherd and it says that he leads us on circular paths of righteousness. So if you miss it, you can just go back around the mountain. (laughs) But in the Hebrew mindset, it's not so linear And so in this context, I want to propose to you that it's not the problem why Revelation has messed us up so much is because we've tried to linearize it. I just made that word up. And (laughs) we've tried to make it, okay, seven seals. Yeah, that's that's what God's going to do. Oh, 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 and then seven trumpets. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. And oh my gosh, now seven bulls. And yeah, and so we get all these crazy things. But... What if it's not linear, hey, this is my plan, but what if this is a circular, 
of where he goes, here's the first thing I want to do, and that's the revelation. I'm breaking these seals off. And then the next thing is these trumpets. And then the next thing is the bowls. But they're actually all showing the same thing, but they're showing it in a different scope. This is really hard to try to get across. But let's say it like this. I'm going to translate it into a linear understanding for you. (laughs) Because I know you're not going to get it. Let's, what if... It's one revelation, and that's Jesus. Can we get that? It's not, it's not tribulation, and then Gog and Magog, and yeah, they're going to destroy Israel, and then you know, all these things. But what if it's Jesus at the center, and the first thing he does is he goes, I'm going to break these seals, and this is the revelation I'm going to give my people. There's a circle. Right? Here's my revelation. But you guys know that knowing something doesn't mean it's actually happening yet. If you can get something in your brain, that doesn't mean you can do it and accomplish it. But what if it's, this is the revelation, the seals are broken off. This is the initiation of the trumpets being sounded. And the bowls is the fulfillment or um, completion of it or you might say this is the revelation the initiation initiation and consummation because the seals break forth a revelation that come out of the throne room of God the trumpets are like a voice that call things forward right it actually calls trumpets, but really it's shofar, right? But a shofar would call you to battle, or it would wake you from your sleep, or it would tell you to gather up. And it is actually a, like a, and, and John even says, he heard a trumpet behind him like a voice calling him to a different realm. And so these trumpets break free, and they go, okay, you've got the revelation now, but let's Let's jump into it. And then the bowls are, we take, Jesus takes the bowls, which are the prayers of the saints, and he goes, I'm going to pour it out on the world. And so I'm going to initiate. I'm going to not just initiate, but I'm going to fulfill it. And so as we go through the, the next chapters, you have the first thing broken off. It brings uh, darkness into the world and all these things. And then we see the trumpet does the same thing. And actually, as we see, the pattern continues that the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls closely follow the same things, just in a different picture. So what if it's actually a circular thing of Let me give you the revelation. Because you guys realize that when God gives you, like, you can know something in your head, but not have it in your heart, right? We don't need to get things in our head and then get it to our heart. That's backwards. You need to get things in your heart, in your spirit, and then your brain will catch up eventually, maybe. Sometimes it won't. But God can give you something. Bam, you have it right there. He can give you that revelation, but your brain may not get it yet. But that's okay. 
And you guys, when you have, you find people that have a revelation of something, they can function in that. When you get a revelation of God's healing, you see that you can start functioning in healing. Like when you get a revelation of, oh my Lord, he paid for it. He wants it. That's his heart. And it comes into you like a revelation. Then it clicks and you go, I can operate in that. So if you have a revelation of healing, you have a revelation of uh, of tongues, you have a revelation of prophecy, you have a revelation. When you have a revelation of something, you can function in it. You have a gifting in that. And he actually wants to give us a revelation. These seals are revelations out of the throne coming into your life. He wants to give you that revelation. But then he says, I want to take you farther and I want to call you into that revelation to initiate you into it. And then I want to then pour out my fullness in that and fulfill it. And so you have the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. If you understand on a linear pattern, it becomes really confusing because you have God, pour, uh, the, 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 the stars falling and the world being destroyed, and the next thing you know, now we can't buy and sell. And people have had lots of problems on a linear uh, understanding of trying to make revelation work because they're going, well, that doesn't make sense. That must be. And so they'll go, well, that's a picture of something bad happening. But then we're going to take this literal and then we're going to make this a picture and they're going to just try to piece it together. And even then it still doesn't work perfectly. So we may get into that more, but I wanted to kind of as this one ends, I wanted to kind of shift you into that, to start thinking about that. And what's so exciting to me is this. If you understand God in this circular pattern, he says, I take you on circular paths of righteousness, and then I'm actually bringing you into these things. If we look at God with a linear Western mindset, we have this idea that, okay, this is me born, this is Jesus, this is what my destiny, that's what he wants to do, and then, yeah, and then I'm done, right? Well, if you mess up halfway in a Western mindset, we go, oh, it's broken. Like, oh, no, what is he going to do? And I've even seen really cute pictures that are like, look, this is what Jesus does. He draws a new line. You know, all these things. And us Westerners, you, you, I've heard so many people that I've talked to that have messed up or whatever, and they go, I don't know if God can use me, or I don't know if, you know, I don't know how he can fix this, and I, I've ruined my life and all this stuff. And I'm like, stop thinking about it like a Westerner. The cool thing about the kingdom is if you miss the goal and you mess up and you fail the test, hey, you get to take the test again. Listen to what I'm saying. It's going to bring you lots of freedom right now. So instead of condemning yourself over and over, I've messed up my life, God just goes, no, we'll go back around that mountain. We'll just, we'll just take the test again. And if you feel like you're running in circles, you might actually be. <laughs> if you feel like... <laughs> if you feel like, I've been here before. I've done this before. It's probably because God's like, yeah. And you screwed it up. But it's okay. I'm going to take you back through it. I'm going to love you in it again. 
And we're going to go for it again. Because God doesn't give up. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get frustrated. He just goes, that's okay. We'll take the test again. And we'll go back around. The Western mindset has really jacked that up. But that's what he's trying to tell us. And so, and when we understand the seals and these things and that same process of that, he's going, I'm circling one thing, and that's Jesus. And I'm showing you these different things. And I'm going to bring it about one way or another. And so when we see all of these different pictures come up later, we see the New Jerusalem with the 12 gates. It's the same thing as the 144,000. It's those 12 tribes of that we're becoming the New Jerusalem. We're called the New Jerusalem. That one's easy. We're called the New Jerusalem is that when we go through the gates into the New Jerusalem and the revelations of Jesus, we become that dwelling place of his presence. You know, we see all these pictures repeated over and over because he is showing us a detail of what it looks like when he gets a hold of you and what his purposes and his plans is for his body and for the completion of his world. Not, a, not the, the Antichrist, which is never mentioned. It's a spirit of Antichrist. Not tribulation that, again, is not mentioned. The world is never mentioned in tribulation. That's us as we go through that pressure. The, the millennium is never mentioned. That's never mentioned either. I, I think the millennium in heaven has been used to put all of the good things that were meant for our life into somewhere we couldn't touch. Yeah, I've heard lots of people. Oh, I'm about to rant. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard lots of people that go, they, or, or theologians or, or scholars and all these people, and they read the word as it really is saying, and they go, that is incredible. But they've never seen it, and they don't believe in it. And so they go, it must not be for today. And so then they see all these great things, and they go, oh, yeah, that's the millennium when we reign with Jesus. Or that's, you know, that's the last days kind of stuff. So they put it out far enough away where you can't get a hold of it, but close enough that we can still believe in it. When in reality, or they put it in heaven, and so we sing all these songs about, well, it's so great in heaven and all this stuff. Which, yes, we live in a fallen world, but he's saying, I want to bring heaven to earth. And so let's stop putting things that are in heaven Let's stop putting things in the millennium. Let's stop putting all these promises that God has given to us and start claiming them and realize that this is actually the, the last days began at Pentecost. Peter got up and said, hey, I'm going to quote Jude, which says in the last days, huh, your sons and daughters and all these things are going to happen. And he says, today it's fulfilled in your sight. That means we're in the last days. <gasps> yeah, 2,000 years ago. <laughs> because a day is like a thousand years for God, so it's been two days. So don't let that depress you. But it's, it's, time that we, it's time that we claim what's in heaven. It's time that we claim all the things that we've put in the millennium. And then we realize that, no, this is what God purposed for us, to live equally yoked with him. And that we would come into the revelation and the initiation and the consummation of everything he has for us.
I'm going to sum it up. I'm going to end there because I will just spiral out of control after that. <laughs> um, so that's probably enough information for one night. I'm going to pray and end us out. Desiree, did you have an ending song that we wanted to sing? or? Yeah, that'll work. Let's just pray. And let's let this, this truth of what God is speaking to us soak in. Because this is the living Word of God. Right? This is the purpose for your life right now. If all we get from this is good head knowledge, we've failed. Because it's supposed to be life-changing knowledge. Yeah. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I thank you for your spirit of peace that is on us. I thank you for your presence of how we get to, to commune with you and worship you. And I just ask you now to take these truths. Take revelation. Revelation is described as a scroll that we eat. God, take revelation and, and let us eat this. That it would become part of our innermost being. And that we would fulfill and live out what you've purposed for us. God, take this and unveil Jesus in us. Jesus, we love you. You are the center of it all. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. Lord, I just pray that you'd pour out your spirit on everyone here. That as they go out through the week, you'd begin to just break these things free. That the spirit of revelation would rest upon them. And that we would also walk in the fullness that you have for us in our destinies. That as, we, that as we are walk on these paths of righteousness, that you would lead us each day to the people, to the places, to the thoughts, and to the doings of your kingdom.